Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. I'm so glad that you're continuing to enjoy and use these core classes. This next core class is really an interesting one. It's on Satan, demons, and then in a couple core classes from now, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. So we're going to spend the next two talking about Satan and demons. This particular one is on the origin and the role of Satan and demons. So this is a really interesting section. Uh, the way we're going to do this is we have a pre-recorded video that we kind of have broken up into smaller sections. So it's an easy way to listen to it on a podcast or watch it on a video. If you have your bigger book, go to the creation section. This is under the creation of what God has created that's invisible under Satan and demons at the top. Uh, we're going to work through those first two sections. Very interesting. I went back and listened to it and kind of worked through it and I love it. It's an interesting topic. It really does have practical implications for our everyday life. So let's go over to the video. I hope you enjoy and then we'll see you back next time for the second part of the, of the demons and Satan section. That is very possible that you've walked into, met, eaten with, spent time with someone who's actually not a someone, but a something, an angel. It is possible that that has happened. God references it. Isn't that a wild thought? Let's go to the next page, page six. So that discussion was about angels, the good guys, the ones who are ministering spirits, those who glorify God. But on the other side, we have Satan and demons. Anybody here watch G.I. Joe? Just me? Oh, three are willing to admit it, and one in the front row. Uh, there's that little thing they always say at the end, knowing your enemy is half the battle. And they usually pump his fist and get you all excited. Knowing the enemy is half the battle. Well, that's kind of true here. Like the Bible talks extensively about Satan and demons. Like God wants us to know what's going on around us, even though we can't see it. We're given quite a bit of information. The first question that popped into my head, I didn't put this in the notes, but when were angels created? When were angels created? The creation account is in Genesis chapter 1, but they're not clearly and distinctly mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. So when were they created? If you have your Bible, go with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, Exodus 20, 11. And there's more than one point of view on how to answer this question, but nowhere does it say with such clarity that we know with certainty. So in Exodus 20, verse 11, it says this, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. So here, that idea that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them could very well be a reference to absolutely everything that's in them, visible and invisible. So possibly within those days of creation, angels were included. So that's Exodus 20:11. Go with me now to Job, or if you'd prefer just to listen, I'll read it to you. Job 38. So at this point in Job, if you remember the book of Job, 
God eventually speaks to Job. Job and a bunch of his buddies are sitting around having conversations about why are all these hard things happening to Job. Here, God speaks. And this is what he says, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line of it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones? Catch verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So while God was laying the foundations of the earth, it says that the morning stars sang together. It says that the sons of God shouted for joy. Sons of God in the Old Testament is usually a reference to angels. So we would make the assumption here that that's the same reference, that angels were present when God was making the earth. As God was laying out the foundations to the visible creation, angels were like screaming with joy and delight. How awesome is this? How beautiful is this? How wonderful are you, our creator God? Now, the first part of that verse says, when the morning stars sang together. When I first read that, I was confused. Was it a reference to the stars that God had made actually having joy over the earth that was being laid? Is that what was happening? If that's the case, then all of a sudden, days three and four of Genesis just got flipped backwards. So I went to commentaries, and they suggest that morning stars are just another reference to angels, that that is like a symbolic way also of describing angels, that angels were singing and worshiping God as he was laying the foundations of the earth, described both as the morning stars and as the sons of God. So if that's the case, it's possible that angels were already there before creation went into action. Okay, so we don't know. The answer truly is we don't know with certainty. There is not a clear description of when God created the invisible. All right, so let's go back to our book. Genesis 131. God declares that his creation is very good. If we don't know when they were created, it's really hard to know when did Satan fall? When did Satan sin? The Bible's very clear. These are wicked spirits that have rebelled and sinned against God. But here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God looks at his creation and says it's very good. There's a couple directions we can go in terms of lines of thought here. If we assume that God is speaking of all of his creation, physical and spiritual, then Satan and demons would not have fallen before Genesis 3.31. If he's speaking of visible and invisible creation in Genesis 3.31, then that means none of the angels would have fallen yet, if that's what he's referencing. But we don't know when God says it's very good, if he's referencing both visible creation and invisible creation, the physical world and the spiritual world. We don't know. Adam and Eve at that point only would have saw what was around them. They would only seen the physical creation, so we're not totally sure if God's referencing it all or just physical creation. Satan sins and falls before Adam and Eve sin, yet no mention of this is being made in the historical timeline, nor does it have any clear consequences on the physical universe besides the fact that there is now one who can tempt Adam and Eve placed into the timeline of Genesis history. So when Satan fell, 
it didn't mean that all of a sudden Adam and Eve were sinful. Like there was no consequence on the Garden of Eden when Satan did fall that we know of. The only thing that changed is now there is one in the Garden of Eden who can distort and deny and tempt them to disbelieve God. So that's what changed. So that last point there says this, if it doesn't have any direct consequence on God's physical creation or mankind, then it is possible in Genesis 1:31, when he says it's very good, maybe it doesn't include evil spirits, but it's hard to know with certainty either way. So we just have to kind of stand there like I did with my flashlight looking in the engine block trying to figure out what was wrong. Maybe they were created before, maybe they were created after. When exactly does Satan fall? It's just hard to know with certainty. So here's two verses. Uh, one is 2 Peter 2, 4, and it says this, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. All right, let's play for a second with important words. So here, the word, and this might depend on which translation you have. Uh, New American Standard says hell. In the Greek, there's multiple different words that can be used, that can be translated into that. So the typical one would be Gehenna. And Gehenna does refer to the lasting, like when all said and done, there's heaven and there's Gehenna. Like it's the ongoing place of torment, okay? That's Gehenna. But there's another word that can be used called Well, you've probably heard of that, Tartarus. And that one refers more to just like the lower realms. It seems to have more of a temporary binding or a temporary situation. And the hell mentioned in this verse is Tartarus. So it appears here that God took some of the angels that had sinned and basically bound them to these lower region pits in darkness, reserved for judgment. So there's a day when they'll be cast into Gehenna, but for now, they're in this Tartarus. They're in this lower region. How many of them? I don't know. Apparently not all of them, because there's many demons that are still doing things throughout the time of Jesus and even now today. So they're active, but some have been put into this Tartarus for periods of time. Jude, chapter, Jude verse 6 is kind of like a parallel verse, and it says this, "...and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode..." He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there's something going on there. Again, this is a little bit out of our reach, but there are some evil spirits that are being held in places in the lower realms. The Greek word for that is Tartarus. Let's go to Ezekiel 28 together. If you have a Bible, we're going to be here for a little bit. So feel free to pull that thing out. Now, this section is about the leader or the ruler or the king of Tyre. Now, if you spend time in the Old Testament and you read like prophecies about Jesus and the coming Messiah, oftentimes the author is talking about David. But all of a sudden you can tell, though he's talking about David, the subject turns from David to something that cannot possibly be, be describing David. That's what happens here in Ezekiel 28. He's talking to the king of Tyre, but all of a sudden, in verses 12 and 13, it changes in such a way that he can no longer be talking about a man. 
I'm going to go to verse 13. It says this, describing this man who clearly is no longer the one who's the center of attention. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13 says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. The king of Tyre was not in the garden of Eden. All of a sudden, we have a very limited number of people that he can be talking about. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the braille, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, and the gold and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Okay, so something happens there until unrighteousness is found in you. Now, here in verse 16, we see a reflection back into humanity. He says, by the abundance of your trade, that's a human description, but then it starts to switch, and you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." Your heart was lifting, lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of the splendor, and I cast you to the ground. So that is a wild passage. Satan is described, catch some of those, he's described as perfect in beauty. He was in Eden, the garden of God. So here we see a description of the enemy. We learn that he was created. He was considered a cherub, which is a powerful class or type of angel. He was on the holy mountain with God. And from the day he was created, he was blameless before God. But then unrighteousness was found in him. He was filled with violence and sin. He was cast out to the ground and God destroyed him and his place of authority in heaven. We read that in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 28. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, we have a very similar type of section uh, where he's talking about one, he's talking about the king of Babylon, but in the background, he starts talking about something greater than the king of Babylon. And he calls him the star of the morning, the sun of the dawn. My goal here isn't to make much of Satan. My goal here is just to recognize that he was a powerful being that God says very powerful things about him. Um, and so our foe isn't to be taken lightly. In the Old Testament, it's good to notice that demons were often, often referenced in light of the gods of foreign, nature, of foreign nations. Let's go to page seven together. <clears throat> 